child of God, have in my hand, powerful word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, give that neighbor another high five over there. Or if you're by yourself, high five yourself. There you go. If you miss, I don't know what to tell you if you're by yourself. Grace is greater than your past. Grace is greater than your hurts. And today, grace is greater than your circumstances. We're going to be looking at three different passages of Scripture. Ephesians, uh, I mean, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Corinthians 11, and Romans 8. Uh, I'll tell you when we get to each of those. Circumstances and obstacles will attempt to draw out God's grace in our lives. And we've got to trust Him through those times. But circumstances of life will attempt actually to drown us. So we've got to trust God. You'll lean on Him. Kyle Eidelman, who wrote the book, uh, Grace is Greater, and I recommend you buy it. It's a great book. He tells the story of a man named Marcus who called the church. And uh, you got to understand where Kyle is the pastor, or one of the pastors. This church runs 25,000 people a weekend. It's a large, large church. So he had a guy call, and they're used to getting benevolent requests, obviously. But this gentleman called, and... He had an interesting inquiry. He wanted help buying a tombstone. He had stage 4 cancer and was dying. And didn't have the resources with which to purchase a headstone. And wanted to buy a headstone. Well, it was a pretty unusual request. So Kyle wanted to meet with him. And just kind of feel him out a little bit. So he met with him, talked to him. And he said, well, what do you want to put on your headstone? And the man said, forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. And that kind of struck Kyle. Forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. Hmm. That takes us to point number one. Point number one is developing thankfulness which helps us trust God and acknowledge His grace in our life. 1 Corinthians 5.18 If you have that, have your Bibles, let's go there to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians, I keep saying. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Let me start with verse 16. Be joyful always, pray continually. And here's our verse. give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in how many circumstances? All circumstances. How can you be grateful though For everything or in everything. Some things hurt. Some things bring pain. 
as I've tended to this sore on the bottom of my foot. Oh, I know. I can already hear you. Well, you're a diabetic. You need to be watching your feet. I understand that. I'm also a large diabetic. It's hard for me to see my feet. Well, you need to get a mirror that you can read. I understand that. If you love me so much, go get it yourself and hand it to me. I'm just saying. I feel my feet all the time. This, I'm serious. This is, a, this is a sore that just like that. But as the doctor explains to me, that's how it works when you have neuropathy and you don't know what's going on down there. I got it. But when I first had to start trying to walk on this foot, every step I take is on that spot. I'm having a hard time being grateful for this. And then they want me to wear this fancy looking shoe. She wanted me in one of those boots. I said, it ain't happening. That was the first time I was grateful for a big old fat leg. Because that boot wouldn't fit around my leg. She said, well, we can make it fit. I said, no, I'll go with the shoe. How how, How do we find gratefulness in this? Well, here's what I discovered in this verse. Maybe you saw it already. This verse isn't a suggestion. This verse is a command of God. Do you realize that? He says, give thanks in all circumstances, in all situations. For it's the will of God. It's a command. There's no suggestion. He tells us to live a certain way. And when we do, Good things happen. And when we don't, not so good things happen. Amen? And why is it that we tend to choose the not so good? All the time. These coaches can tell you. You can teach technique to a kid. Tell them this is the right way to do it. They'll actually practice that and do it in practice the right way and get in the game and see see the lights and hear the crowd and all of a sudden forget how to play. Somebody will score a touchdown over them because they didn't follow the technique that they were taught. And what did the coach say to them? Why did you do it that way? Uh, 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 uh. And then they tell them, go out and do it the way you were taught to do it. And they go out and do it the way they're taught to do it. What happens? Bada bing. It hurts. Amen. When your mother tells you to do something and you go do it, it works. When you don't do it, it doesn't work. It's amazing, isn't it? It's a command. The children of Israel struggled with this. So I don't feel too bad because they struggled a lot. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, they're in the desert. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. They we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I mean, they act like they had it really good back in Egypt. Somehow they forgot the slavery part. That they were under slavery. In spite of their complaining, in spite of their whining and moaning, God said, okay, I'll help you. I'll give you manna. 
the Hebrew definition of manna is, what is it? <laughs> that's the name. That's the definition of it. Manna. What is it? Or, whatever it is. That's another translation. Isn't that great? You ever had holiday dinner and something's being passed? You know how they, how they do everything? Come, and you look at the bowl that's come in front of you and you don't know what it is? And what's your mother say? Eat it. I don't care what it is. Eat it. And you're supposed to eat it. And you're afraid to eat it because it's, it's moving. <clears throat> you know it's that kind? You dip up and you put it on your plate and it jiggles. And it's not the right color. One thing I've ever spit out of my mouth, I was at Cindy's parents' house. We hadn't been married too long. It was a Christmas season, and her mother made this pretzel butterscotch concoction. I, you know, I'm, if it doesn't crawl off the plate, I'll eat it. I'll try anything. So I got two or three of those. They looked really good. Put them in my mouth, started to eat it. I heard the voice of God. <laughs> spit that out, brother. Spit that out. So I did. <clears throat> Cindy said, was it that bad? I said, oh, honey, you don't have any idea. That plate didn't get eaten off of very much by anybody that I could see. They either had already tried it before, years before I came on the scene, but as far as for me and my house, we weren't eating on that plate. But what is it? God went ahead and provided manna for them. And no matter, all they had to do is just go get it every morning, right? Just enough for the family. Didn't have to work for it. But they still, became, still grumbled and began to grumble more and complain more. God provides manna, but they. They weren't satisfied. In Numbers chapter 11, from the message, Eugene Peterson's The Message, it says it this way, The riffraff of the people had a craving, and soon they had the people of Israel whining, Why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt and got it free. To some of them, go to, uh, we, we got the, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but nothing tastes good out here. All we get is this manna, 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 manna. So God had enough of their complaining. And in Numbers chapter 11, verses 18 through 20, Tell the people, Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed, If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. And you will not eat it for just one day, or two days, or five, or ten, or twenty, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils, and you love it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and you wail before Him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? <laughs> you ever have your mother say, You want to cry about something? I'll make you cry about something. You want meat? I'm going to shove meat down your throat till you don't want meat anymore. That's what God was saying. That's what God was saying because they were complaining. God takes complaining seriously. Do you know why God takes complaining seriously? Because He takes it personally. The fastest way to disrupt an organization, a home, a relationship with another person, a church, 
is to gripe, grumble, and complain. It's the fastest way to do it. Well, so Oh, negative Nelly's running loose. We need some positive Pete's running loose. Look around you. One person told me, said, Well, we're sure losing a lot of people. Well, here's my question. What do you mean by it? Well, we just beg them to stay. Huh? If a person's going to leave, they're going to leave. What about all the new people that are dying and going to hell? What are you doing about them? Have you even invited somebody to your church in the last year? Ten years? Churches die because people don't bring people. We had some first time guests last week, I understand. Isn't that awesome? It's fantastic. And all of you jumped up and ran and talked to them. I'm so proud of you for doing that. That's awesome. But they didn't fill out a connection card, and so we don't know. Can't do any follow up. But we've got to pray. We've got to invite. We've got to be hungry for people to want to come and be a part of our fellowship. We've got to prepare every week so that guests will come. So that guests will come. We attended a large church last Sunday with our family. A beautiful service. They have some professional people. Oh, my goodness. Uh, there was a lady that sang, and Cindy and I, t- Cindy tell you, I mean, we were both in tears. Just her song it was a medley with uh, It Is Well With My Soul in it. And I, oh, I'm telling you, man, she could. God, as she was crying. I tell you, that, that, you know the anointing is happening when a person singing it can't get through it either. When's the last time you were moved to tears? Because of something God said through a song or through the Bible. Do we come to church just to come? Do we come to church just, well, I, you know, I'm always gone, so I need to go. There needs to be more to it. He takes complaining personally because complaining overlooks the greatness of God. He takes it personally. He provides all that we need for life and salvation. And yet He finds us complaining and whining and ungrateful. A research study was done. It separated the participants into two groups. The first group was assigned to keep a daily irritation journal. Things that annoyed them, they were to write it down. Participants in the second group were, were told to keep a Thanksgiving journal write down things that they were grateful for, and they found that those who kept Thanksgiving journals had greater overall energy and enthusiasm, slept better, and were less depressed. They also discovered that what each group was assigned to do intentionally, uh, started, they started doing it unintentionally. People who had the list of annoyances became increasingly discontent. People who had to list positives became increasingly grateful. Grumbling like grace has a way of becoming the lens through which we look at life. 
Are we adding to our complaint list by not living lives of thankfulness and gratefulness? Are you grateful every day for what you have? Are you grateful for your dog? Are you grateful for your husband and wife or your children? Are you grateful for your car, your house, your grass? Are you grateful for the rain? Are you grateful for the food that you put in your stomach? Are you grateful for the holes that develop in the bottom of your feet? Yes, because it teaches me to take better care of my feet. Are you see what I'm saying? Or do you get up every day and just look for the negative? Oh, cloudy again. No rain. Oh, we need more rain. And when it was kind of cool outside, boy, sure it's the sun is shining. Now the sun is shining, the humidity got up. Boy, sure it was cool again. <clears throat> right? Work with people like that? You are like that? Uh-oh. If God can turn the death of Jesus into our salvation, He can do just about anything with whatever we're going through. Maybe we need to remember that the man who called the church wanted on his tombstone, forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. Takes us to point number two. We're able to receive God's grace only to the extent we're able to recognize our need for it. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 21 through 23. To my shame I admit that we were too weak for that. What... Anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they uh, Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. So am I. Now jump over to chapter 12 and pick it up at verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there has given me a thorn in my flesh a message of Satan, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in the, in the weakness, weaknesses, in insults, in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's the power of gratefulness. If you ask Bryant, I'm sure he's not going to sit there and go, I just couldn't wait for cancer to come back. Beat it once. Had such a joy going through the first round with it. I just begged for God to bring it back. But here's what I do know. And here's what I've observed. He's not going to let that derail him. He's not going to sit around and mope with his lip puckered out going, Why me? I already had it once. Why do I have to have it twice? 
I have a twin brother. Maybe he should get it. I mean, after all, we were twins. We should he'd share. He, he should get it too. No, he wouldn't wish that on anybody. But with a smile on his face, he said, Okay, Lord, whatever you're sending, we'll, we'll deal with this. Amen? We'll deal with it. We'll deal with this. And they're going to deal with it. We're all going to die sometime, aren't we? That's the truth. Your taxes will always go up, even though the politicians say they're going to cut them. They'll never cut taxes. And you're going to die. Sometime you'll die. Don't know when, don't know how. A lot of people say they'd like to know when and how. No, you don't. Because if you knew when and how, and it came right up to it, you'd back up. Whoa, I, I changed my mind. Too late. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But I believe with all of my heart that the more we are able to acknowledge our weaknesses, the greater our opportunity to experience God's power in our lives. I alone cannot lose weight, but I can with God's power and God's strength. I alone can't take care of my feet properly, but with God showing me, teaching me through other people, doctors and nurses, showing me how to do it properly, guess what? I can find victory. I can find healing. Some people say, well, I'm not going to take a shot. I might be diabetic, but I ain't going to take a shot of insulin. I can't stand needles. Well, then die. Then just die. Because that's what you're going to do. Or you can let the medicine work with you. I know people who won't take medicine even though it will help them because they don't want to take medicine. Okay. We'll find you in a coma somewhere. In Kyle's book, he mentions an artist named Phil Hansen. Phil, ha- Phil Hansen suffer- suffered a tremendous nerve damage to his hands. So it caused his hands to shake. He was the type of artist, he would, he would get his, uh, it, was a, it was a dot. He would paint or, or, or draw with a dot. So everything was a dot. So he was always doing it like this. All, all the pictures he'd make. And he made beautiful pictures. Just look him up online, Phil Hansen. He had done that so much it, it affected the nerves in his shoulder, and he began to do this. It's hard to do this when you when you're like this. So he's going to a neurologist, and he was having a struggle with it. And the neuro- neurologist said this: Why don't you just embrace the shake? So Phil Hansen, rather than turning within himself and going, oh, what I used to have, I can't have anymore. Oh, I'll never be able to amount to anything. Phil Hansen began then to find a way to paint, and he embraced the shake. And some of the art he puts out now is an incredible masterpiece. His weakness became his strength. We need to be first... We need to first to be limited in order to be limitless. Isn't that a powerful statement? We need to first be limited in order to be limitless. I never will forget when our grandson Brian was born in Enid. 
And we'd already had uh, three before him. Flawless births, no problems. Figure we have another one, no problem. After all, half of the gene pool, I mean, hey, you know. That's the way granddads are, right? I mean, hey. Well, all of a sudden, he started having some problems, and all of a sudden, they're rushing him to the NICU unit. And my son Mark goes, what's the NICU unit, Dad? I said, well, son, that's, it's, I tried to find the right words to say. I said, that's, that's, um, that's, that's a rough place for a little baby to go. Was well, he going to be okay? I said, well, won't you go in there and put your hands on him and you pray for him and you make sure he's okay. So I remember watching through the windows. My son put his hands through the little tube that Brian was laying in to touch him. And he wasn't the right color. And I was praying. I was praying in the hallway. God, I've been one of your preachers for a long, long time. This is honestly what I was praying. Show you where my mind was. I said, God, I've been I've been one of your preachers for a long, long time. I've I've brought a lot of people to the Lord. I've baptized a whole bunch of people. Why are you doing this to my my grandson? See, I had I was so stupid. I thought God was doing something to my grandson because of me or wouldn't do allow something to happen to my grandson because of how great I am. And it was at that moment that I realized that it's in my weakness that he's made strong. I shifted my whole prayer. I said, God, today, would you show me your great love for me? And your great love for our family. And God, whatever the outcome it is with Brian, I just want him to be in your hands. And would you strengthen that young mother and his young mother and his young dad? And would you give them peace? Because see, Amy had to stay in the room. She couldn't even come out to go see him. How do you think that felt, ladies? See, it's in our weakness that we find strength. And it's in acknowledging weakness when it invites God's presence and power into our lives. You and I are weak. The sooner we understand it, the sooner we embrace our weakness, the greater the victory. Which takes me to point number three, and that is we must trust God's goodness even when life is difficult. Romans chapter 8. I'm telling you, the most powerful section of Scripture is what I want to share with you in closing this morning. Paul wants these Christians in Romans 8 to understand that no matter how desperate things may seem in the moment, God's love and His grace will win the day. No matter what you face, He will win the day. More grateful than I could ever express when Bryant 
was given a clean bill of health. No more devastated was I when got the word that the cancer had returned. But here's what I know. If the cancer takes his life, he wins. <laughs> he wins. If his body can beat cancer again, he wins. Along with all the rest of us, because we get to spend more time with him. But you see, here's what I know. That no matter what I'm facing in my life at this moment, no matter how difficult it may be, my God is able. My God is able. And we need to allow God to do a great work in each of us. In our darkest moments, we can find God. I remember sitting in the hospital uh, stairwell with a man named Ken Yazel. It was 1 o'clock in the morning. I was 24 years old. I had no children. had been out of college two years. Boy, I had, to, I had it all together. <laughs> His baby was dying of meningitis. And we're sitting in the hospital stairwell at 1 o'clock in the morning, and he looks at me and he said, Harold, tell me, what have I done that's causing God to take my baby away from me? I'm 62 years old and I still don't have an adequate answer for that. But here's the answer I gave him. I said, Ken, God is not taking your baby away from you. God is giving you the capacity to understand how he felt when his son died on the cross. Nobody will understand that more than you right now. Because it's completely out of your control. Or you would walk in there and take Caleb's place. Or you would walk in there and put yourself, whatever you needed to do to take place so Caleb could live, you would do it in a heartbeat. He said, absolutely. I said, you don't think God knows that? I said, why these things come and why these things happen, I don't know. But I know one thing. You know now more the heart of God than any dad I've ever met. Because when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't intervene. He had to let it go. And it had to hurt like yours is hurting now. When you hurt, when you are in a position of pain, when you're in a position where it doesn't make sense, Romans 8. Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. <laughs> the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage of decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to and what we ought to pray uh, pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans and words it cannot express. And he, uh, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, but the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that all things, uh, that all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to become to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Woo! <laughs> That's us. No matter the darkness of the moment, no matter the crisis that you are facing, our God is greater. And He has made you greater. And if you finish that chapter, you're going to find Him saying, nothing can separate you from His love. You name it, nothing could do it. As Geneva lay dying, as Geneva lay dying, I never will forget the times I would go to her room and not one time did I ever visit with her that she didn't say, I'm good. I'm good. The last conversation we had, she said, I get to go home. I said, yes, I'm not happy about that. She said, well, I don't have a choice. I got to go home. I said, yes. I know. She said, are you going to come with me? I said, oh, sister, if I could hit you right, I would come home with you. I've never seen anybody get sick in a month and be gone in 30 days. She was. And everybody who walked in that room was infected. Vanessa has nurses over there. Those nurses would come into that room. And one of them, a good, good black nurse, she come in and she said, Woo, feel the Spirit of God in this room. And before you know it, Vanessa walks in. Man, they got a prayer meeting going on inside the room over there. And poor old Geneva's sister, who's a somewhat Catholic, <laughs> she's over in the corner going, What am I sitting in here? She was crossing her chest up and down. Was she about to beat herself to death? But I'm telling you, when I would come and I'd say, I want to pray with her, she would come over and hold my hand. So don't tell me it wasn't rubbing off. No matter the place you are, God is going to do a great thing. And there's two things I want you to, to take away from this and apply to this. First of all, you can know God's grace is working in your pain to draw you closer to Jesus. And the second thing I want you to learn is that you can know that God's grace is working in your pain to make you more like Jesus. 
draw you closer and make you more like him. Craig, Kyle, I mean, mentions a uh, friend that he made in his book. The film's name is Craig. Started coming to the church, and he was facing stage four cancer in his life. Craig and his wife wrote a blog to help cope with the illness. And as Kyle prepared for the funeral, he looked up this blog and he read the final entry in Craig's blog and it said this, Just looking at myself in the mirror, I can tell my downward spiral has begun. I'm at my all-time low of about 118 pounds. I have an awkward time shaving my face because it's pure bone and I feel like I'm having to shave every bony contour my face has. My yellow eyes constantly remind me my jaundice is setting back in. This pretty much means things are going to eventually start shutting down. There's nothing out there that makes sense for me to do to treat this that we haven't already looked at. The encouragement I have that my eternal life will be in heaven, that I will be cancer-free soon, puts a smile on my face. I am very motivated about what the future has to offer me, that there is a lot of reason to be excited. And the last three words that he wrote is, God is good. Circumstances push us to complain. Pride pushes us to deny our need for God's forgiveness. Suffering attempts to drown out the Almighty's voice. Yet when we trust the grace of God, we'll find that it is mightier than any obstacle. And it's never-ending and it's unstoppable. And we will always know that grace is greater. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your great grace. Thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. Thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you that in the midst of the circumstances of life, we can still experience victory. Father, would there be one here today, one person here today, who might say, I'm tired of drifting, I'm tired of running, it's time to get committed to you. Would there be one person in this room today who would say, God, I'm going to take it upon myself to bring someone with me to church. I see people in the store. I see people at the ball field. I see people that I work with. I want you to put in my heart a heart of evangelism, an evangelism that gives me courage to speak and to invite and to bring. God, our church needs to grow numerically. And in growing numerically, we need to grow financially. And in growing financially, we need to be growing in staff. And in growing in staff, we need to grow in outreach. And in growing in outreach, we need... Oh, God, there's so much we need to do. We're doing a lot. But there's so much more that could be done with the resources that you have waiting for us. Would we pray in anticipation that they will come? Would we prepare everything at the house to receive our guests that you're going to send next week? But God, before we can do any of that, we've got to come to grips with our past, with our hurts, and with our circumstances 
and realize that your grace is greater. Your grace is greater. Would there be someone today respond in Jesus' name? Amen.